LT Insider Podcast, dedicated to making you have the most fun possible while living or dreaming about living in Japan. Whether you've been here for years or are just starting to consider it, we've got you covered. And now, your host, broadcasting from somewhere in Japan, James. Yes, it is James here, ALT Insider Podcast, coming at you with episode number one, two, three. Nice to have you with me here today on the show for the week of August 25th. How you doing out there today? Summer vacation's almost over for you teachers out there. How was your vacation? I hope you had a great one. Site news, I want to mention something I've been working with in the summer vacation because it is kind of the down period in uh, working in Japan stuff, people working in Japan. I'm working on a new podcast, actually. It has nothing to do with Japan, actually. It's called the My Insane Pace Podcast, and it's all about speedrunning video games. Um, I won't mention it ever again on this show because it has nothing to do with the show, besides the fact that I'm the host. Uh, but I know some people, that's all they do is listen to the show, and that's all they listen to of anything I do. So I want to let you guys know, if you want to check that out, please go to myinsanepace.com. I will never mention it again, but I just want you to let you know. If you're into video games or speedrunning games or anything like that, go check it out, myinsanepace.com. Okay, so let's get to this week, though. This week, I interview Martin from Live, Work, Play Japan. And I think we definitely set a record this episode for the least words ever said by me. And I know he, Martin won't care me mention that because we joked about it after the interview. Um, Martin says a lot, and he says a lot of good stuff. So it's definitely a good listen. But just know I I, uh, I said I think it's the record for the least words said by me. What else can I say? Um, over at Live, Work, Play Japan, they just released a book about all about working in Japan. So I'll put a link to the show notes page, and the show notes page will be at altinsider.com forward slash podcast one two five and you can learn all about that i mean there's a lot of places online to find stuff about working in japan right my website millions of other websites but this book they just put out is a real concise thing everything is combined into one place i think that's the real value of the book but yeah go check it out he talks about it in the interview a lot too so let's stay tuned for that and listen to what he says about it so without further ado let's get to it my interview with martin from live work play japan enjoy Today, guys, we got a very special guest. His name is Martin, and he's with Live, Work, Play Japan, as Charlie was a few weeks ago, but he's he's way better than Charlie. Would you agree, Martin? I don't know about that. All right, well, he's he's on par with Charlie. That's his goal. And uh, he's going to talk to us about what he's doing right now and what he did in his time in Japan. So, Charlie, uh, Martin, <laughs> Martin, why don't you tell us, like, how did you come to Japan in the first place? What kind of got you excited about Japan? What made you decide to do the crazy thing to live in the country of Japan? Yeah, well... It's kind of a long history, actually. I mean, my my dad used to work uh, from time to time in Japan. He was an engineer, and um, I'm from the U.S. By the way, I'm from the little little place called Michigan. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you guys aren't familiar, it's, it looks kind of like a glove. You know, it's got the five lakes, Great Lakes, and so yeah, he would work uh, with Ford and these different companies and go over to Japan, and it just always fascinated me. You know, and I never really made the connection between Japan and anime. As, as much as other people did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so I just wanted to go, though, you know. Um, and I went in middle school, actually, for two weeks on a homestay trip. And that was the first time I got exposed to everything, like started learning some Japanese phrases um, and just kind of had this idea of what Japan was like. And it completely blew my mind away, just, just how the Japanese were, just like they smile a lot, you know. And that's something that, I don't know if you've noticed that. Like they smile, they giggle, they kind of laugh. And sometimes it's awkward silences that they're breaking. But I just thought it was just very like cute um, and also very – they were hospitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and the family I was living with, the mother and my – I guess my brother, you know, technically, they sort of spoke English, right? Um, but my father could not at all, Mr. Doy. Like it was just like – we didn't have Google Translate back in those days. This is like uh, early 2000s. So this was like maybe 2003 or something around there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just used like he just had his laptop and I don't know what he was using. And that was like how we would talk. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> like, he would like point the laptop at me and then I would say stuff and then he would type it into the laptop and he'd be like, oh, so this name. Oh, <laughs> you know, like that was kind of like how we talked. So um that was really disappointing. Um, and then he was the guy to say goodbye to me. And so that was just for me, it was just like we wanted to say a lot. 
And I could see as he's sending me off to go on this bus to leave the country, like this masculine dude that was like always smoking cigarettes and like this stern faced gym teacher. And he had, I could see he had like tears welling up in his eyes. And I think he was just so frustrated that he couldn't say whatever he wanted to say to me. And I felt exactly the same. So I just kept saying, oh, arigato gozaimashita. Arigato. I mean, that was all I could say, you know, and it was just this really frustrating experience. Mm. So that was what really motivated me to want to learn Japanese and um, didn't really have a chance. Uh, went to a small town, you know, uh, we did not have italki.com back in those days or anything like that. So like. I didn't know where to go, you know, um, so I just learned Spanish instead, which, <laughs> okay. which was fun. And uh, so I, you know, that like taught me learning Spanish, like taught me about how to learn a language. It's something that unfortunately, I think a lot of expats who are from Anglo-Saxon countries, you they don't learn. They've never really learned how to learn a language. You know what I mean? So they don't really ever like they've learned it in school, but they've never actually used it on the streets. And that was something like with Spanish. That was like my first thing, like. You know, I was out using it on the streets. Uh, I went to Florida and like was talking to people. And like here in Michigan, we have some towns, you know, like Ann Arbor, where there's a lot more, you know, like Mexicans and all sorts of people from everywhere. So that was a really good experience. And it so happens that Spanish and Japanese have pretty much the exact same vowels. Okay. I don't know if you ever noticed that, like a i u e o. Yeah. They're they're the exact same. And the problem with English um, is that we have too many vowels. So we're always inserting our vowels into Japanese, like uh, doesn't exist, mm. you know, or the schwa. So those things all really helped me. And then I went to college, you, um, and I basically got into Japanese and Mandarin. And those two, um, to me, really helped each other. Like Japanese I started with first, um, and my kanji was not very good. Uh, and, you know, I think the reason that my kanji wasn't so good is because the way we were studying it, um, this is... I don't know, something that people can take home or not. Uh, I think a lot of Japanese programs baby us. Like they give us hiragana and katakana all day long, and they slowly introduce kanji. And I don't know if you ever took Genki or did Mino no Nihongo. I checked it out, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, they they suck uh, completely <laughs> yeah. because kanji is taught in the back of the book, and it's not kanji that's relevant to the vocabulary you're l- learning in the beginning of the book. Mm completely uh, useless, if you ask me. So, you know, you're learning, like, you know, he goes and blah, 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 blah. And then, like, the kanji will be, like, sun and days. Yeah. And so those those vocabulary items will be useful later. But by the time they're useful to you, you've already kind of forgotten those kanji. And um, when you learn Mandarin, or maybe if you learned Cantonese, uh, at least the program I was taking, they didn't do that. It was like, you, you learned, there was no hiragata and katakana, so you want to talk about he goes to the store? That's what you write in kanji. And that just like blew me away. So I just basically focused on learning um, kind of more like the Taiwanese Hong Kong version called the traditional kanji, uh, the hansu. And I would write those in class, which would kind of piss my teacher off in Chinese class. Um, she wanted me to write the simplified characters. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't want to get into too much geeky stuff. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. that all like... All of that made for me like Japanese just um, easy is not the word, but it gave me a big advantage. And um, I also just like immersed myself when I was at my university. We had a Japan club and found out that there's about a good 30 or sorry, 60 to 100 Japanese on campus at any one time. And I pretty much tried to know all of them. Um, Maybe much to their annoyance. (laughs) And uh, I would like... Like just, you know, I just wanted to talk to all of them and I really, really like just had this like fire to speak Japanese. And, you know, of course, like when I started, I sucked, Um, but that's okay. You know, I just kept going. Uh, And the first like time that I felt like, yeah, I'm speaking Japanese was um, if you'll notice one of the crutches you'll have is if you're speaking to a lot of Japanese people, you want to learn Japanese. If they're good at English, um, you're always going to have that English crutch. Mm-hmm. And I found that no matter what language I'm learning, like that it's really important in a relationship, a friendship relationship, if you can, the relationship language you start with is usually what you end with. Yeah. Like it just usually is what it will continue with. 
So um, I really couldn't speak that much Japanese because my friends were way better at English than me. And uh, long story short, I went to this party and there was a girl there that was really cute. Um, and she could not speak English or, or chose not to. Um, and like, so everybody was just chilling at this party and this American girl tried to invite this Japanese girl to play some kind of card game. And the Japanese girl just said to her, uh, no English. And I was like, chance. So (laughs) I went and talked to her and it was like this huge, like, like I felt like my brain muscles were like being exercised, trying to, trying to even have a regular conversation with her. And so I just, you know, um, from there got a scholarship. Went to Japan on the JASO scholarship, which is, um, if you're not familiar, that's usually for bachelor's degrees, mm-hmm. and they gave me a full ride. Um, my professors recommended me for it. So I got to go to Japan for a year, went to a little university called Daito Bunka University. Um, it's in the north. It's mostly, they've, they've got a campus on Itabashi in Tokyo and Saitama. Um, I chose there specifically because there were so few other Um, Well, let's just call it gaijin there. There's a lot of Chinese and a lot of Koreans, which, um, let's just be honest, in Asian logic, gaijin does not refer to Chinese or Koreans or Asian people. Gaikokujin Gaikokujin does, ironically. It's really weird. Um, Yeah, I I mean, I learned these things, you know, like, forget what you read on blog posts. Uh, I might offend people by saying this, but I was offended. I remember being um, tagged on a Facebook picture by a Chinese girl, and we're in Japan, you know, and some other Chinese person, they wrote in Japanese for whatever reason, wrote in Japanese, oh, I thought you didn't like gaijin. And I, I was like, I was like, hey, you're all gaijin too, <laughs> you know, but, but I, I quickly learned that, you know, like in Asia, no, like foreigners, like non-Asians are gaijin. Um, but if you're a Japanese in Vietnam, you are a Gaikokujin and vice versa. Okay. So um, anyways, I chose Daitobunka because there were so few. Another word I guess we could call it is Seyojin, Western people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just like this total immersion, Japanese, Chinese all the time. And um, met a really cool professor there from the States. And he's like on the side running a whole bunch of businesses. And he became my mentor. Uh, Dr. Lee, and um, pretty much like we kept in contact, and then we lost contact right around 3:11. And by this time, I was in the the states, and because uh, I had con- gone back after my year in Japan to to finish my degree, and it's really weird. I was actually interpreting Japanese, uh, volunteering at the time, for this um, group of Japanese that were coming in town, and. Uh, that was when 311 hit. And so we had all these reporters coming to us and we were like interpreting about it, you know, talking about it. I didn't really fully understand what happened and I lost contact with him. Then I applied sometime later to a job at a, at a school. And this is a really important resource I'm going to mention right now is uh, called, uh, it's, it's by these guys that were jets. It's called jetalternatives.com. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, I have. Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's like a total, like very simple, HTML, CSS, maybe, yeah, that's it. Like kind of <laughs> website. Probably looks like it made. It's like look, looks like it was made in 1997, mm-hmm. and maybe it was. But it it's still to me like a very useful resource because they compiled like a lot of the main English teaching akaiwas schools, and then at the bottom they actually link out to this other website. I think it's called like Mothers in Tokyo or something, and on that site they have international schools and private schools from Yokohama and Tokyo and some other areas. And it's like a list of like over a hundred or so. And I found this international school called Hitokoi Yokohama International School. And I was just like, hey, what the heck? I just threw my resume at it. Not knowing that that mentor I was just mentioning was on the board or yeah, at the time and still is on the the board of the NPO that runs that school. (laughs) Wow. Like, I thought he might have died in 311. Yeah. I kid you not. And it turns out he's alive. And um, he then, you know, like, he's just like, I, of course, get the job. You know, I go over. And he flew me over, um, you know, set me up with an apartment, 
you know, and it was just like this, you know, and I already like tried to apply to Jet by this time uh, once, you know, and didn't get in. So I thought there was no chance that I was going to get a flight to Japan, you know, because I thought only Jet does that. Well, let me stop you there real quick because your, your, your Jet resume has to be pretty sparkly. I mean, you did a lot of stuff in showing your interest in Japan. You've been to Japan before. Did you get to the interview or just, just didn't fail, get nope. to get that far? And uh, I had okay. the N2. I had the Nihongo Norukshiken Nikyu. I had the JLPT, Japanese level, uh, what is it? Japanese language proficiency test, number two. No, <laughs> here's what happens in Jet. And I know this because actually I, I kind of skipped over this. I worked in the Japanese consulate right before this for a little while. Okay. Um, which, you know, consulates and, and embassies, those are the people that are reviewing these, these uh, interviews and also giving them, right? And this is, let me just tell you what it is. It's a lottery system. Lottery. You, you apply, right? If you have even one mistake on your JET application, you're out. Yeah. Garbage. Right now. Right. Anything that you do not follow, you're done. Garbage. Mm-hmm. Um, All the stupid rules about like paper clips and stuff like that. It used to be. Yep. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that's that, that's true. I definitely heard that before. Garbage. Then now you got two piles. So, OK, you made it. You made it from garbage. Good job. All right. Next is the two piles. And this is um, they start kind of going through it. They see something they like. They put it in a like pile. They start going through your, your application. They see something that ah, I'm not sure out right now it's lottery it's just like they've got a bunch of ones they like and they just basically kind of choose them not entirely at random but it is somewhat at, a, at random um and it's like okay we're just gonna review these like you know how many people apply for jets every year yeah i'm just i don't know it increases it's just like it's in the thousands and thousands and so uh your chances of getting in if you're in the united states i, I can't speak to people in the uk i can't speak to the people in other places but your chances of getting, um, excuse me, of getting into jet increase dramatically when you're in a lower population zone, mm-hmm. and specifically um, the the areas you want to be in are. And this is sometimes it just can't help it. You know what I mean? Like you can't just go and like move to Ohio just to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, it also helps to be in areas where there aren't a lot of Japanese bilinguals. Meaning California is hard, uh, Hawaii is hard, Guam is hard. Why? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of like you know um, Japanese Americans, and there's also a lot of you know guys like me who went abroad. Mm-hmm. And even being a guy like me, not to toot my own horn, but still, it, it, I, I actually applied to Jet twice. <laughs> Did not make the interview once. Didn't even get to the interview. And I was fully confident if I got to the interview, I would have just like kicked ass because I was already interpreting Japanese at the time. You know, I've heard also like you could be overqualified though as well. You know, like, okay, he knows too much Japanese. He might be, you know, a little bit, he'll be maybe using Japanese too much in the classroom, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've heard of that too though. Oh, well, actually, here's the thing too. And here's another reason why I probably didn't make it. I applied to the more competitive uh, CIR position. Yes, definitely high, more competition mm-hmm. it plays, yeah. Yeah, that was my dream. Like, I didn't want to, I'll be honest, guys, I'm just going to tell you what it is. I just wrote a book about teaching English, but I loathed the idea of teaching English at first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be, I was like, I thought that that was like the lazy way to get to Japan. I'm sorry, like, if it is what it is, but I just like, I did not want to be an English teacher. Um, and I had this stereotype about English teachers, okay? I mean, I didn't really go to Japan yet to stay there. So my stereotype was because I, you know, gaijin pot, read a bunch of stuff, kind of social media was, social media was definitely around at the time. Facebook groups weren't as active as they were. But anyways, the stereotype I had was like, English teachers are lazy people that don't learn the language. Um, on and on, right? Yeah. And I just had that stereotype and I just did not want to be that. Um, and I'd heard that also from a lot of other, like a lot of other people coming back from Japan. A lot of expats would say things like that, you know. So, um, well, yeah, a lot of people definitely think that's true. And that, I mean, that is true for some people. But I mean, that shouldn't you shouldn't you know group everyone together like that for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, and, and like I, you know, and, and part of why we wrote this book is um, sorry to skip around a lot, but yeah, part of why we wrote the book is to kind of blow away some of those stereotypes. And like, I mean, I'm. Like like I said, I'm one of the guys that had like all of these false impressions. I also had the false impression too, like English teachers are capped, 
at their salary. Like they're all poor. They're mm-hmm. all making like, you know, $20 an hour or like less than $3,000 a month living in Tokyo, mm-hmm. which is obviously false, right? I mean, Dr. Lee, by the way, who kind of, he was, he's kind of an English teacher at university. Um, at the time, I mean, he was, he was making over a hundred thousand a year and he said he didn't want to make any more. He told me later, he's like, the more money that I make, the more committees they want me to be on. Oh, yeah. He's like, I don't <laughs> want to be on all these committees. He's like, they keep offering me more money. He's like, I don't want it. He's like, <laughs> because that's more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, it's everything I thought about English teachers, um, Really, what really blew me away not was not so much when I went and taught at a school. It was, um, which by the way, when I was teaching at that school, I was telling you about. Uh, I was not an English teacher technically. It was an international school where English was the medium of exchange, right? Mm-hmm. So all these Japanese kids, mostly, and a few like of his kids that were half, and some other kids that are half Japanese, um, and we enforced English as the uh, language. And we taught somewhat based off the Montessori system. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we just basically um, taught in English and we taught them like math and like, you know, it's ama- it's crazy like how Montessori has you teach science to like four or five and six year olds. Um, but it is doable, you know, like there's ways to do it and just like stuff like that. So I technically wasn't English teaching as much. Um, we had a juku which is like an after-school program. And there, I would, kids would come from like elementary and I would teach them English to prepare them for the TOEIC. Okay, so let's, let's fast forward a little bit. So like you get to school and then you, know, you, you make a jump. You said, okay, I don't know how long it was and all that stuff, but you made a jump into translation and stuff like that, if I'm correct. So how did you kind of make the jump? How did you make that jump from teaching to that? Uh, yeah, well, while I was teaching, you know, like while I was teaching, um, I was on Facebook one day and I was in some expat, on some expat page. Oh, you know what it was? It was the um, that page. I was just telling you about the Jets Jet Alternatives page. Mm-hmm. I don't know what prompted me to go on that page. I just kind of went on there. Honestly, I was, you know, I was like, I was kind of looking for another job, you know, like something to possibly do outside of this or to do when I'm done. Um, so I just didn't want to stay in that area of Yokohama anymore and whatever, you know. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with wanting a different job. So anyways, I was on that page, and this Russian lady randomly posts on the page, hey, we are in need of Japanese translators, got this huge project, if you can help, email me. So I did, and um, she became my project manager, and uh, basically that was my first translation project. Mm. Um, And so just really quickly, translation, interpretation, some people don't know the difference. In Japanese, there's actually a difference. Honyaku, translation, and tsuyaku for interpreting. Uh, translation is, is is written word. So if you can think of somebody like, you know, translating emails or um, in this case, we were actually translating a white paper, a hakusho, which is like a government paper. It's a big government research paper. Um, if you ever get in the translation world, these are really nice. They're very repetitive. Um, they're very simple. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're very long. And in translation, you are paid by the word, usually. So sometimes you get paid by the page, um, but that's usually not what we, we do. So I'll say, okay, for one word, one character of Japanese. So a character of Japanese will be a, for example, hiragana. The hi would be one character. Or kanji. The kan would be one character. So one character... To one English word, not letter. Kind of weird. Um, and you'll get paid a certain rate. And I'd say for general translation like that, we would call that general translation. Um, you don't necessarily need a particular skill set to do that mm-hmm. other than the bilingual skills. You'll probably get like, you know, on the low end, like, uh, well, really low would be like four yen. That would suck. Um, I hope you don't accept those sort of jobs. Five yen, six yen. Um, higher end people can get eight, nine. 10 yen. But let's say like when you're starting, I mean, obviously you got to take some stuff that's not ideal pay, right? So like what kind of like for that first project, yeah, right. was it was it something you were happy with the pay? Or you just want to get some experience? Yeah, I think work? I was, you know, at the time, this was 2012. I think I was, I think I was getting around six, seven yen 
a word. Mm-hmm. I was loving it, but it was hard work. It was actually almost full-time work. So I would wake up at, from my middle school. I'm sorry, the, the, the elementary, not elementary, it was a preschool, kindergarten, excuse me. Um, I would wake up at around usually like, um, what, six in the morning to go there, mm-hmm. to get ready to go there and get home. A lot of times I was getting home at 8 p.m., I'll be honest, you know, like we were doing a lot of zangyo, like preparing for the classes, everything, you know. Um, yeah, get used to it. Some Japanese schools, if you uh, want to leave early, it's going to be very frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Um, I would then basically work. Some days uh, when I had projects due, like for the translation, I would, I would probably literally work, just bicycle home and just start translating. And I would finish at around some days four in the morning, you know, and I'd just be like, all right, I have to get some sleep. So like it was though, yeah, it was totally worth it. I probably would have done it for free almost, you know, just to get that first thing. Um, yeah, that was my first foray in translation and it lasted like a good six months. Okay. So that was for one project. So then after that, do you, yeah. when do you kind of make the move? Like, okay, well, I don't need to be, I can do this enough to support myself. Well, it wasn't like that. It was not. Yeah. When you're a translator, if you want to, if you want to translate in an institution, you know what I mean? Like a, a work for somebody. The cool thing is you can focus on the one thing translation, which is hard enough by itself. Um, getting work is the entrepreneurial side and that is very hard. Um, and um, it's getting harder today, by the way. It, it was hard then. So after that project, I had a bunch of nothing. It was just like that project lasted for like six to eight months. Um, there was a kind of like month period of nothing. And then it was just like totally no translation. I didn't know where else to go to find translation work. Um, when I would find projects, they would be like enough for a day, two days. Um, I just had no idea what I was doing. I, I really lucked out on that. Uh, and so, unfortunately, my I think, you know, translation's a skill. So, obviously, I wasn't able to continue working on it. Um, and I just, you know, kept teaching English or, or teaching, well, whatever I was teaching at the Montessori school. And that, so that school went up. Um, it was, the, the contract was over, and I moved actually on to Interact to teach English, um, you know, because... Like I said, I would have loved to keep translating, but uh, and especially freelance. But um, it's competitive, and it's getting harder today. Now, like now, you've got people coming on the internet, like Indian people, you know. And I love my Indian people, but I'm telling you, like, there's a whole like bunch of Indian people that have never had access to the internet. Can you? If you, can, I don't know. It's hard to imagine, right? Like, there's almost there's over what a billion of them. And a lot of them never had access to electricity. Now they do. A lot, now a lot of them speak English, right? All they have to do is learn one more language, like Japanese. So it's, they're, they're not that far. So we are really coming into a time when general translation, the price of it, is, is just plummeting. Filipinos, all they have to do is learn a little English or Japanese. And a lot of them already speak English. Indonesians on and on and on and I'm, I'm not even going to get into robot translation <laughs> yeah is, yeah <laughs> right it's coming, so yeah. translation in general like if you want to make money in it the secret is you need a specialization in something that is not translation mm-hmm. and ideally there's a hard like a, a moat a barrier like law or something very specific um you know like patent translation is 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 heavy right now but like Honestly, AI is starting to do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely so. going to stop eventually. Yeah, because yeah, I did some of that too, and it's it's definitely going to be gone soon. Um, so let's go. To, let's to go fast forward a little bit more. Let's get to what you kind of. Yeah, was so Interac- I was at Interact, went to Tokyo. Then um, while I was at Interact, I, Dr. Lee introduced me to this this dude to help me find a house. So I ended up um, in real estate with this guy. <laughs> First was I was the guy was supposed to help me find my house didn't work out but then I ended up working for him part time okay and so I instead of doing translation I became a, a real estate broker and I just loved that more and more and it was the same thing I was basically burning the candle at both ends again I would be teaching in the morning teach till like three p.m. and then I would just like run off to uh, the office or to meet a client and so my clients were all expats. Germans, Ukrainians, um, 
you know, Americans, Canadians, and me being bilingual, I could, you know, negotiate on their behalf, right? And I could search for houses for them because we used a system called lanes. Um, the Japanese real estate industry, well, it's extremely opaque. So if you have struggle, if you struggle looking for a house in Japan, um, there's, there's there's a reason for it. It's very hard. Um, and part of it is because, like, for example, lanes, you need to have a takken, which is somebody who's got a license in, in the real estate industry, to have access to that website. The average person like you, James, does not have a- access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and on there is way more information than you'll ever find on Sumo or any of that. Way more information, up-to-date information about housing, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And... So yeah, I worked there. Um, my clients were high end, so you'll probably read a lot on the internet that um, Japanese are all racist. They won't let you into houses. It's actually more about money. I'm sorry to say it is what it is. Um, I learned this because I had some low end clients and some high end. Mm-hmm. And low end is anything. If your house, if your apartment um, in Tokyo for rent is less than about. Well, about if it's less than Nijuman, about if it's less than two thousand dollars a month, which is a lot of us, right? Yeah, that was me too. Um, that's considered low end by the Japanese landlords, and you know you're higher risk, right? They've got to get you for two years. Gaijin, as this is their opinion, I'm 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 debating these conversations with these dudes, you know, and most of these landlords, by the way, are old, very very old people, very old. They're in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, They look at us as risks. And if we come in at higher than Nijuman, over $2,000 a month, we are less risky. Thus, it's very easy for us to get into places. But if you want to get into certain neighborhoods, like ironically, you would never think this, like Shibuya. Hmm. Um, The actual Shibuya around the crosswalk is run by old money. And those people are not interested in having a foreigner in their Lokuman and six what is that what is it you know how much is that was 600 yeah 600 USD about a month place why because you're high risk um, the place is probably old so it's already at a risk and they look at you as a flight risk you're likely to leave no matter what you sign they know that Japanese law can't get you so you know I mean You'll see a lot of things on Facebook that all Japanese are racist. You know, the Japanese landlords are racist. They keep kicking me out. The only way if you're at that, if you want to get a Lokomon in a month place or whatever, the only way you're going to do it is you've got to just be persistent and just go hunt and, and get ready to turn down, be turned down a bunch of times. So that's my little thing about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, wrote yeah. a, I wrote a blog piece about it uh, on Liver Play, Liver Play Japan. Um, so sorry if you're, you know, I just I, – it's sad. People get really discouraged, you know, and they leave Japan and they just – they'll say things like that. And it's not – you know, it is what it is. Like if I was a landlord over there too, honestly, like we are flight risks. We do leave mid-contract a lot. You know, we leave mid-contract in our jobs. We leave Japan in our job or leave Japan, you know, before our contracts are over. We leave our cell phone contracts. Now, whether – why should you have a two-year cell phone contract with SoftBank? God only knows. But – um I've been, I've seen it all, you know, and uh, so there's always reasons for things, you know. There's always reasons for resistance. So, but anyways, I went through that, and you know, I just was, I was just tired of having to work two jobs all the time to like make ends meet, kind of. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know, but it was fun. It was fun. I learned a lot. And then later, one of my Ukrainian clients, really smart guy, um, he's actually kind of, I think, Ukrainian American. Um, and he actually is an editor for, um, I won't say the name of the publication, but it's a a British publication and he writes about the IT industry. Um, also started as an English teacher and trust me, this guy is making way more, uh, than your average English teacher. Uh, he's doing very well for himself. Uh, also speaks Japanese too, Mm -hmm. which helps. But anyways, um, he does judo with this dude, Japanese dude. And that dude turns out to be a guy who was in the IT industry looking for a translator. 
And so that's like kind of like how it happened. So the Ukrainian guy introduces me over Facebook. I go to interview with the Japanese guy. Um, and yeah, we. I just basically, after that year, um, the next year started with him. And so we were a team of two. He's Japanese and he had lived in the U.S. for 10 years and me. And um, we were dispatched by one company to go work in this other IT company kind of thing. And the way it worked for us was we were not like a regular in-house translation team. We were actually selling our services to project managers. So this was really up my alley. You know, it was a lot of sales and entrepreneurial stuff, um, which was really fun. Because, you know, um, I don't know. Like, I love translation and I hate it sometimes. Yeah. You know, like, I think I love it sometimes. And then other times I'm just like, man, I'm so sick of, like, looking at a screen and, like, you know, <laughs> you know, so that job was really fun for me. Um, a lot of Zangil working overtime. Uh, sometimes I didn't get sleep, but other times I would, you know, which was better than my other two experiences where I kind of just never would get really good sleep. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. all right, so let's fast forward now to what you're doing now. I know we're going to skip a lot, but let's get to what you're doing now before we get to the Yeah, sorry. Stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, after all that. That project kind of went on, on a year and a half, and then the project dwindled down. Um, so then I just basically went on to translate freelance again for myself. Uh, my thing was I just, you know what? It wasn't even translation. I just wanted to work remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of honestly kind of sick of having a boss. Um, doesn't really matter who they are. So I went and like just started traveling. I went to Guam to visit a friend out there, stayed out there for a month or two, um, all the while, I'm like trying to get all these translation projects going and keep all my different clients at the time happy. Um, and then, like, I had heard so much about Thailand and all these podcasts. And um, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's totally it's it's way cooler than people say. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I went to Thailand, and um, if you've heard Thailand's cool, yeah, it's it's like if you've heard Thailand's cool and you've went there for like a few days or a week. Maybe it's cool, but if you get to go there for like a month and just not have to go anywhere and just do whatever you want, it's the coolest country ever. It's just like, yeah. So, yeah, um, went there for a month. But one thing that sucks about Thailand is the visas. So it's really hard to get a long visa as a a digital nomad or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But went back to the States, and then I heard how in Vietnam you could buy three-month, six-month, one-year visas. So I did that, stayed there, and Charlie and I kept in contact from Liverpool Play Japan. We met through my old roommate, and that was right around when um, he got this idea for the website. So I was between the States and then Vietnam, and uh, we started it. Yeah, it was the idea was actually for us to start like with a course on how to – we were actually thinking to put it on Udemy. Like how to move to Japan and like get a job mm-hmm. and transition into different industries um, or do really well in the English teaching industry, whatever, right? And we just decided that Udemy – like nobody was going to buy that type of Udemy course. Um, so we just started writing about a, everything on our blog and um, I wrote a little about real estate, a little bit about learning Japanese. Charlie was writing more about English teaching. Um, so, you know, and we did that and – We've been writing for free, making podcasts and stuff all this time, and we did some – we did recommend a few products like TEFL courses, uh, which I actually just took one of the TEFL courses we recommend we, – we were recommending. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We're going to be – we're going to kind of look more into that. Um, if you're looking into TEFLs, by the way, um, yeah – I think we, you know, I think we were like, cause we didn't really know, you know, so we went off of what people were saying online and this looked like a good, good company. They're okay. Um, but I think I would, we're going to look a lot more into that in the future. Um, so yeah. So like if you know, if someone never been to work, live, work, play Japan, it's basically like it's split up into exactly what it says. So there's like articles about living in Japan, articles about working in Japan, articles about playing in Japan. And they just released a new book that's called, let's title of it here. Let me get it, make sure I get it right. It is the smart guy to teach English in Japan. So it's all about, you know, how to get a job in Japan. So what's kind of your quick sell for that book? What's if, if I'm listening to the show, like a lot of people are, 
they want to come to Japan in the future, but they're not sure what to do with it. What can I learn in this book? You know, yeah. give me the bullet points. Sure. Um, the book is mostly about um, – Charlie is much more focused than me, so I'm sorry if I'm all over the place in the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Charlie and I, we really wanted to make it about blowing up those stereotypes that I was telling you about earlier. I had a stereotype English teachers are lazy and all this, and it's not true. I had a stereotype that English teachers can only make a certain amount of money. Totally not true. Um, then you see things online that are even worse than what I had thought, uh, that English teachers um, will never have fulfillment or people will give people – when people ask questions on forums like Facebook or Reddit, what should I do? Um, I only make – for them, it might be a little amount of money. You know, like I've got a family and I make, um, let's say, Sanjuman, like $3,000 a month. I feel stuck. Uh, what should I do? And then people will comment things like, well, learn Japanese or you know, do something like this. And none of those things are really helpful when actually in the English teacher teaching industry alone, you can make very good money, live a fulfilling life. You don't have to work 80 hours a week. Meanwhile, there's people who are doing very poorly um, economically who are working 80 hours a week. They're getting overworked. Uh, they're, they're actually being worked sometimes illegally over their contracts. So the book is a, is a roadmap for how to find all these different opportunities. The What is it like you know, working in an Akaiwa versus an international school, a university? And we kind of go over that a little bit. We interviewed a bunch of other people um, that are in the book. We've got a forward by an inter- our university teacher that's a friend of, of Charlie's. Um, and so we just want you to have an idea of what is possible and that there are no such things as being stuck anywhere. You know, even in Akaiwa, if you don't feel like Akaiwa teaching is fulfilling for you, then, you know, maybe, maybe learning a little Japanese would help you and maybe you can work in corporate in a, in that Akaiwa. Yeah, I would say the book is definitely, like I say, like, uh, my think big thing is like, you know, if you're not having fun, then you don't, you shouldn't be doing teaching, right? So like if uh, if that's the way you have to get to Japan, that's the, that's the, that's an awesome way to get to Japan. Then you can find your way doing something else. But this book is more, if you, if especially for people that want to want to do teaching, and this is how you can do it successfully and not have to, you know, not have to only survive by doing the ALT job or doing a Kaiwa job. There's way other more way more avenues to take than maybe you might think at first. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Um, sorry again for kind of dancing all around my resume. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> So I want to uh, let me get a little bit more about uh, one, one more thing. So you know, people are obviously interested. You can go wherever you want, right? It's a big thing. There's thousands of websites online, like a digital nomad. I'm a digital nomad. You know, <laughs> people, a lot yeah, of people claim. Said done. Yeah, exactly. A lot, said done, a lot yeah. of people claim to be that when they might not be. So, what would you say? Are you able to support yourself purely by being a digital nomad, or do you have kind of a home base with them home, or have you built up the clients in your translation to be able to do it? For you know, you? honestly, like I was telling you earlier, I've been transition. I want to transition away from translation um, because it's getting so like rock. I don't know. I think you know, like looking back, I think. Um, so the big thing that made me really leave was I had a client that was promising all this work. I had mm. two actually. One of them worked my ass to death, uh, excuse me, and then um, ghosted me, basically. <laughs> totally ghosted me, like did not pay. Um, and the other one, we were negotiating this project all this time and it was going to be amazing. And they also were like, oh, sorry, it's done. But meanwhile, I'm in Guam, right? So like, then I had to just like hustle to like find all of these different clients and – uh, it was you know it's quite stressful. I would say, um, which you know what, being in Vietnam though was was helpful because it was so cheap. Like my apartment was a hundred. Um, I paid a hundred and eighty dollars for my apartment. I was like I could seriously, um, not nutritiously, but I could eat with well under yeah six dollars a day. Um, <laughs> okay, so that, that's the I like key. here. I like beer. That's a problem. Uh, I like wine sometimes. <laughs> Wine's really expensive over there. So you're not going to get those things. Um, so you didn't say, is yeah. that where you are now? And you're in Vietnam right now? No, no. I came. So I stayed there for six months. I did my six-month time. Uh, went to China. Um, and that was a really poor decision for my translation business because I was like – the internet was so bad where I was in Yunnan. Um, okay. 
And then I came to the United States. So okay. I kind of went to Thailand again and then came back to the United States. Really, I, I've been out of the States for almost seven years. So, you know, I've got two nieces now and like family. And I just kind of wanted to like be a part of this ecosystem for a minute. Okay. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I was actually, I started doing e-commerce and a bunch of other stuff. I won't get on that here. But, um, oh, yeah, I do definitely think you can support yourself as a digital nomad. I agree there's a lot of fake digital nomads. Um, there's a lot of wannabe digital nomads. Maybe I was a wannabe and I was, like, scratching by. Like, I would do really well some months, you know, but I would say it'd be better if you want to work remotely Ideally, actually, just find a job to work remotely. Or well, yeah, the thing that's bad about that is there's there's so many people that want to that want to be digital nomads by telling people how to be di- digital nomads, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I haven't done that yet, so I guess <laughs> yeah, I could have done that. That's the thing that sucks. Like, come on, just you know. That does work though. That like, oh, you got to give to them. Oh yeah, that does work. It's incredible. <laughs> I'll show you how to be rich. Yeah, I'll get rich by showing you how to get rich. It works for a lot of people. Um, all right, so what's yeah. the future? What's the future hold for you? What are you, what are you thinking about the next you know few years or so with live work yeah, Japan know, or anything? I, I've actually like I've been entertaining the idea of like working in a Japanese corporation again for actually right now I've been studying programming um, on my own. I'm mm-hmm. just I, I tried I, I don't know I tried Code Camp and Free Code Free Code Academy, which just bored kind of you know were boring to me. But I'm I'm enjoying this. Um, got a few courses on Udemy that I actually like better. Um, they're only ten bucks. So I don't know. I might do that. Just I need like I'm more into um, trying to develop passive income streams right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not so much the book. The book will probably, if anything, the book will hopefully just help us. Our website right now, we are paying for it. You know what I mean? So it'd be nice if the website could get paid for. And um, it'd be nice if we could do more things like have podcast hosting you know, we've had podcasts, but I'm sure you know it, it costs money. You know, mm-hmm. so that's probably what the book will do for us. Um, but me personally, I'm looking to move away from freelancing. Where it really freelancing. I don't know if you ever read Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. So he's got the four quadrants. You got the E quadrant, right? You got the S quadrant. S is like working for yourself, but you're still on the left side, which is active income. Mm-hmm. So you only earn money when you're earning money. You only earn money for the time you put in. And whereas the passive side, right, which is the big business and the I, the investor side. Um, so I'm more interested in like building businesses right now. I've been uh, kind of dabbling in e-commerce. Um, but building a business, even an e-commerce business, it does take some capital and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I need more than enough to just like live myself, mm-hmm. which freelancing has done for me. Um, also I'd like the ability to have like a family eventually and like that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, important. Um, and by the way, you know, Hey, there are translators killing it. Okay. Just totally killing it. I've got friends that are killing it, but again, they've got to, you've either got to specialize or have like these long standing relationships. And, um, yeah, that's what, that's the camp I fall in for sure. Cause I mean, I, I got, I started, Let's see how long ago now. Three, four years ago now, and I have had one client be my main source for those four years total, and that's without that I would be done. <laughs> you know, no, no question about it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's um, important, right? Yeah, so you gotta have you gotta. Build, it's all about relationships. I mean, obviously, everything you said here today, all the jobs opportunities you had were from some meeting, some Facebook group, you know, all that kind of thing. So that's really what I'm going to take from talking to you the most. Um, so what should we go to? What send, send us to one thing besides the book? Send us to one thing. We're all going to check out the book, but what's what's something you would send us to to learn more about you, more about what you're about? Is it one post you want to send us to? Is it one website? What do you want us to go to? Yeah, I mean, right now I'd say Live Work Play Japan. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to connect with me, though, you can find me, you know, uh, through Live Work Play Japan, or you can just, um, you know, Martin M E R T I N at LiveWorkPlayJapan dot com. No Twitter or anything? Twitter, Facebook? Come on. I, I, I hate Twitter. I'll be honest. Like, I mean, I like to see what Trump posts sometimes or whatever, but like, that's <laughs> it. Like, I can't. It's just too much information for me. Like, Charlie and I kind of both, we just hate it. Um, it's just like all these little, like, uh, it's too much. Um, I'm on Facebook, though. Uh, I don't know. Right now, yeah, I'm not doing a personal brand. I'm not selling a course on how to be a digital nomad. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, don't do that. 
Don't worry, I will later. I will later. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I'll, I'll buy. It. I'll be the first one to buy it if you start it. Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Martin. It was nice talking to you today. Good luck with Live Work Play Japan. Good luck with the book and everything. It does have a lot of good stuff. I, I um I gave my endorsement of it. It's on the website. You can see me and my Thank beautiful you. face there. Uh, it does have a lot of stuff. A lot of, there's a lot of places, let's be honest, there's a lot of places on the internet that say, here's how to teach English in Japan, but they don't say everything. This thing says everything in one place. That's why I think the value of it. I mean, we cover we cover a lot of things that definitely could be covered in more detail, but we just want you to just know what is possible. Um, and it is stuff like, there's because of all the misinformation on the internet, I, I would argue you cannot find this information as concisely. Um, mm. And a lot of people that do really, really well, they don't sell courses and they don't write blogs. And we know those people. So we interviewed those people. We have experience with those people. Uh, like I was telling you about Dr. Lee. He's got a bunch of businesses. All all of his businesses mostly funded by his English teaching. Mm. He's not writing a book about it. He's not teaching you how to do it. You want access to him. You either have to know these people and just have, just have that in. Or you read a book by like us, for example, because we do know those, know, know those people. So, yeah. You'll, you'll see. I, I'll put the link to everything you mentioned here, all the and liveworkplayjapan.com and the thing. And, and yeah, just check it out and see what you think of it. I think it has a lot of value in there. So yeah, Martin, good luck with everything, and I'll talk to you down the road. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the ALT Insider Podcast. For more info on how you can have more fun working in Japan, visit altinsider.com. See you next time.